Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for a worship service this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road in Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. A couple of weeks ago, some guys, I took a trip. We, we went and camped out along the Buffalo River. And we spent the night there. A lot of the guys are scared to death, right? What is he going to tell them tonight about what? No, nothing bad about the guys. It's about me. But anyway, we spent the night. We camped out. And uh, I brought a tent and set up a tent, but I decided I wasn't going to sleep in the tent. And they told me the tent was in the wrong place, the people at the state park, and I had to move the tent. But I was also, I was just going to sleep in a hammock. I thought this would be great. A lot of the guys sleep in hammocks. And I discovered about halfway through, well, a couple of hours into the night that I just don't sleep in a hammock very well at all. I can take a nap, but it's just not my thing. And so there, out in the middle of nowhere, where it was pitch black, I got out of this hammock and decided, all right, it's a nice night. I'm just going to go put my sleeping bag down on the ground and sleep out under the stars. This will be great. So I walked through the woods, hitting many things in my face and with my knees and with all of those other things, and found a place, put my sleeping bag down, and decided to go to sleep. And just as I was about to fall asleep, the first raindrop started hitting me in the head, and it started to rain, and I thought, well, maybe it will go away, but it, well, then I thought it maybe will get stronger. So I thought, well, I do have a tent. And what I didn't tell you when they told me that I couldn't sleep in, you're probably saying, why didn't you just start out in the tent, which would have been smart. But I had to move the tent, and where I had to move the tent was on like a 45-degree angle. It was just this way. And so I was like, I didn't want to try it, but at this point, well, I made my way through the dark, tripping over things and stepping on things and got to the tent. And I started in the top corner, and I made it all night, but by the morning when I woke up, I had slid all the way down to the bottom corner and was kind of curled up. It was not the most refreshing night of sleep. But I do remember the next morning when I woke up, the sun was shining. And I could look out and see all of the places that I had tried to spend the night the night before. And all of the various things that were in my path that were in my way that I couldn't see at night when I was out there in the middle of the woods, in the middle of, the no- in the middle of nowhere, and it's completely dark. The light is a wonderful thing, especially when you don't have it. And you need it. And in verse 12 of chapter 8, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. One of his more famous pronouncements, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus said this, this was still most likely during the Feast of Booths. That's been going on now since chapter 7. And if you remember about... A little more than halfway through chapter 7, Jesus, it says there, in the last day of the feast, he stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And if you remember, if you were here when I, I went over that passage of scripture, I told you that during this Feast of Booths, there was an elaborate festival, elaborate part about water. The leaders, the religious leaders would take a pitcher, they'd go down to the pool of Siloam, they'd dip it and get some water. There was a big procession as they made their way through the town, and they would pour out the water, 
And it was most likely during this part where everybody was looking at the water and this water festival that Jesus talked about being, hey, I am the one that can actually quench your thirst. Well, as we go to chapter 8, and he says, I am the light of the world, it's still during the Feast of Booths, and there's another thing going on during this feast that would correspond to what he talks about here. If you go to verse 20 of this passage, it's an important little sidebar. It says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. He's in the treasury. The treasury was located in the women's court, which was the biggest court. It's not the court where just the women were. It's the court where that's as far as the women could go. There were further places in towards the temple, but that was reserved for only men. And so the women's court, this public area, was the biggest area. There was a lot of space. And this is where the treasury was. And so John lets everybody know this is where he is his teaching about being the light of the world. Well, during the Feast of Booths, there was an, a, an aspect of it that took place in the treasury. They would build these torches or they'd build these big piles and they would light them on fire. And they would burn kind of like a torch at night during the festival. And it was bright. It was said of the, the, the people that lived in Jerusalem for that week, it was about a week long, for that week you could see at night in, in your home the light would shine in, well, not really, they didn't have yards, so to speak, but in your house, in the area where you lived. And so and you can just imagine that every night while these lit up and people would be out, this, this is a culture that didn't have light like we do. It's hard for us to comprehend I mean, we're in a room, there's, I don't know, probably two or three hundred lights on right now. If you look in this room and back there in the clock and all of those things. We walk outside at night and there's street lights. You see the city reflect off the clouds. We have lights, kind of too many lights sometimes. But just imagine in a culture where day after day, week after week, month after month, when the sun went down, it got dark. You ever been in your house when the power goes out at night? Kind of stinks, doesn't it? You just run into things, hope you can find the flashlight, you light a candle and you realize candles are pretty pointless when the power goes out, unless you want to see something that's this close to you. Imagine that over and over and over, and then during this one week, there's these big bright lights right there in the middle of town. You can just imagine people would be outside, they'd be doing things, they would go down to the temple, and it's in this area, during this moment, most likely, that Jesus says, you see these big bright lights? I am the light of the world. Just as he talked about the water that they used, he said, listen, I'm the one that can really quench you. He says here, just like you think these lights are shining things up, I am the light of the world. And this was a big deal to John especially. John, he's writing, he's recording what Jesus says. But John, in his opening prologue, when he introduces the world to Jesus in his book, he uses this theme of light pretty extensively. Remember in chapter 1, the first thing he uses is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But if you go down to verse 4, he says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He talks about John the Baptist for a few verses, and then in verse 9 he picks up the theme of Jesus as light. The true light, this is Jesus, which gives light to everyone. It's coming into the world. John picks up on this theme of Jesus being the light of the world. And he says, listen, this is an aspect of who Jesus is that you need to understand. I want you to stand in the honor of God's word. We're going to read this section. As Jesus makes this pronouncement, and then we'll look a little bit about the Pharisees. as They respond to him and how Jesus, well, 
describes their response. Again, Jesus said, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Lord, I thank you for this great pronouncement that you are the light of the world, that you are the light of our lives, Lord, that you shine into the darkness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, as Jesus makes this pronouncement that he is the light of the world, the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to us? What does it mean to the readers or the listeners to him here? And as John uses this, this imagery of Jesus as light extensively in his book, how does that, how do we really make sense of all that? And one of the things we have to do, because as Jesus teaches to the Jewish people in the temple, is to understand how the Jewish mind would hear Jesus and everything he's taught about himself up to this point, and then referencing himself as being the light of the world. In the Old Testament, as as God talked about himself as he's described in the Old Testament. There's three kind of ways that we see Jesus or how they would have understood the light of the world. The first is light represented the presence of God. The presence of God. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26, we read this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You've heard that many times, probably as a benediction in a church service. It's written there in Numbers, and I want to focus on that middle verse, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord's face shine upon you, his presence in your life. Later on in Psalm 4, verse 6, it says, There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. In a reference here, it's the Lord's presence, the Lord's goodness, the Lord's blessing, his presence in your life. And light has that, isn't it? It's a a presence. It's a securing thing to us. It's like children. I have kids, and every child at some point in their life is afraid of the dark. There is that moment when they just get scared. They're afraid. of, of, They're in the room. You turn the lights out. It reminds me of a story of a guy who once said, you know, he he had a, a phobia. He feared there was somebody under his bed. This is a joke. I don't joke very much, but I don't tell a joke. So if it doesn't work, just laugh, okay? Just just. Do me a favor. He said he, had, he felt there was something under his bed and he was scared. And he told a psychologist friend of his, hey, man, I'm scared that there's somebody under my bed who's going to get me. The psychologist said, well, that's, that's a tough one, but I think I can cure you. It's going to be about 300 bucks a pop and it's going to take about six sessions. And the guy said, wow, that's kind of expensive. I'm not sure if I can do that. Let me think about it and I'll get back with you. Well, a couple of weeks went by and the psychologist never heard from him and he bumped into him in the store and got to talk, and he said, well, whatever happened? I mean, you never came to me. You were really scared. I mean, why didn't you, you come to me? And the guy said, well, 
I got to thinking, and I told a buddy of mine what, what, what you said about it being $300 and all that, and the guy told me, I can cure, cure it for you in, in, for 10 bucks. And psychologist said, well, man, that's great. Well, what did he say? He said, give me 10 bucks, and I'll cut off the legs of your bed, and you won't have any problems. <laughs> all right, good. You say, all right, all right. But you stick a nightlight in your bedroom for a little kid, and that little bit of light, just that, it's securing, isn't it? It's, it's the presence of light in a room. And here, as, as let his face shine upon you, the presence of God in our lives. The Jews would have understood it that way. They also would have understood it as the salvation of God. Psalm 27 verse 1 says this, The Lord is, the light, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Later on in Psalm verse 40, or chapter 44 verse 3, it says this, For... Not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but by your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Not only is it the presence of God, but here we see his salvation, his protection. That light is a protecting thing. It can protect us from lots of things. As I mentioned, I have children at home, and sometimes at night when I'm laying in bed and all the lights are out in the house, I have to, you know, go get something to drink, go to the restroom. And I walk. My kids are pretty good about putting things where they're supposed to go. They're little toys. But for whatever reason, they always forget the smallest, tiniest, sharpest thing that you can possibly think of. Usually a Lego. And when it's dark, I'm not protected from the Legos. But if there's a little bit of light, you can be. We understand light as protection, don't we? And light here would have been protection in the view of God, of his salvation in their lives. And the final one, the revelation of God. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Fairly famous verse out of the longest chapter in the Bible there. And also in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Lamp to my feet, light to my path, a teaching is a light. It's the revelation of God, that God's word guides us. We clearly understand this with light, don't we? We have headlights on our car. We have, that's why I primarily have lights to guide us so we can see what's coming. It's the presence. It's the salvation. It is the revelation of God. And the Jews would have heard this over and over. And it brings us back to what was going on as Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He's in the temple. Remember what I told you. There's these big torches or, or, or piles. There's these wood that was lighting up all of Jerusalem. And the reason why they did this is because of what went on during the Feast of Booths, what it was representing. The Feast of Booths was a celebration of when the Jews were wandering in the desert after they were forbidden from going into the Promised Land. For 40 years, they wandered in the deserts and they lived in booths or tents. And so for a week, they kind of commemorated this and they they slept outside in tents or booths or whatever you wanted to to refer to them to kind of say, this is what it was like for our forefathers. And when they were out, when the Jewish people were wandering in the desert, they were guided by God through what? A pillar of fire. And the pillar of fire served three purposes. It was a, a, the presence of God. Anytime that they were wandering in the desert, that they didn't have a homeland, they didn't know where they were going, they didn't even really had come together as a nation, yet they could look up and see this, this pillar of fire at night and know that God was there in their midst. 
That pillar of fire represented the salvation of God. If you remember when they left Egypt, they got to the the, the edge of the Red Sea, and there they weren't sure what they were going to do. And just at that point also, the Egyptians changed their mind and came after them. And when they came after them, right as the, the Egyptians were about to get to them, the pillar of fire stopped the Egyptians. It was their protection. And then, of course, there as they wandered in the desert, they stayed wherever they were unless the pillar of fire moved along. They followed it. It was their guide as they wandered. And so there as they sat in the the temple and they saw these big flames every single night and the rabbis would teach, the rabbis would remind them of what the flames represented, of what the Feast of Booths was all about, that God's presence was with them, that God's salvation was there, that God's revelation was there for them. And then in the midst of all this, Jesus steps up and says, Oh yes, I am the light of the world. That's a bold statement. This is one of those Statements, if you understand the context in which Jesus says it, when people say he's a good teacher, he can't just be a good teacher. That's not what he is just saying here. He's saying something, I am the God. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Where he says follows me, it's important. Right here, there's a little change in in the way Jesus is presenting everything. The way he has up to this point in John. He doesn't say whoever believes in me, but he talks about whoever follows me. The word follows here was a a word that it can literally just mean to follow somebody, just walk behind them. But over the years, especially prior to this, what we call the intertestamental period, from the end of the Old Testament to this part, the New Testament, it began to be associated with somebody following a rabbi. You wanted to be a rabbi, you wanted to be a teacher, well, you had to find a teacher and, and become their student. You become their pupil, and you would follow them almost to the point, almost like a slave. I mean, you did whatever they asked. They said, go get me coffee, you got them coffee. I mean, it was that type of thing. Now, it wasn't really slavery, you were free to go, but you followed them with such deep, deep devotion. And this is the particular word that Jesus says here, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I think Jesus, as he begins to to continue this, this revealing of who he is in the book of John, he's talking more about the idea of lordship salvation. Lordship salvation, which is the idea that when we profess faith in Jesus Christ, we believe in him, for that really to take place, he becomes the Lord of our lives. We follow him. He is now the one, as, as we do the best in our ability, we're born again, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we become more and more like Christ. He is the Lord of our lives. This is butted up against the idea of what is sometimes referred to as easy believism. Somebody can just kind of say something, yeah, I've heard something about Jesus, and I, yeah, I kind of believe that, but it has no effect on their life. He's not the Lord of their life, he's just somebody that, well, I've heard about and say something about it. But I think as Jesus is teaching here, and you're going to see this more and more as he goes, he said, listen, true repentance, when you turn from your wicked ways, when you reject yourself as the Lord of your own life, when you turn to me, there will be a change. Just as there's any change of allegiance in our lives, we begin to be something different. If Jesus Christ is now the Lord of our life, well, we'll have the light of life. We will begin to reflect who he is. We will begin to be more and more like him. And so Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
And to anyone in that area, they would know what he would be saying about the presence and salvation and revelation of God. But to the Pharisees, this just gives them a a way to, well, try and shoot him down. Verse 13, really, in verse 19, we see their various responses here. Verse 13, the Pharisees say to him, you're bearing witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. They don't really talk about what the content of what he is saying. They don't address the, the message that he is, 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 is saying. All they're really after is a technicality. You can't be trusted. We can't be believed because you're just telling us about yourself. There's no one else. There's not another witness. Jesus, we'll talk about this in a minute, has a fairly lengthy response to that. In verse 19, they still don't even care about his response. Now they just say, where is your father? Because Jesus once again mentions his father as a witness. They're not really interested at all in what he has to say. They just want to shut him up. Now, it's interesting when they say you're bearing witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. If you've been here over the past couple of months as we've gone through the book of John, Jesus has already dealt with this in chapter 5. Chapter 5, some of the same objections to him are made that he's bearing witness about himself. And in chapter 5, he said, okay, fine, let me give you four witnesses. He said John the Baptist was a witness to him. He said the very works, the miracles, the signs that he was doing bear witness about him. He said, as he says here, my father bears witness about me. But even there, just as he does here in chapter 8, he said, that's not going to do you much good because you don't care much about the father. And then also in chapter 5, he said, the scriptures bear witness to me. This would have been probably the most powerful statement to the Pharisees because they were supposed to be experts in the scriptures. And Jesus said, if you read the scriptures right, if you understood them, you would realize they point to me. And so Jesus has already addressed this idea about bearing witness about himself. But obviously it went in one ear and out the other of the Pharisees. They've never really addressed it. And so he doesn't just jump right into that in his response there in verse 14. But what do we, why would the, the Pharisees not want to address anything here about what Jesus says? Why would they not want to talk about more about what does it mean that you're the light of the world? Why, why don't they care about Jesus? Why are they always so dismissive? I mean, as you hear what Jesus says here, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. As he talks about having eternal life, as he talks about having this, this, this perfect life with the Father, being in right relationship with him, why don't people go to that? I coach football, upwards football on, on Tuesdays and Saturdays, and we had practiced this past Tuesday. And at the halfway point of practice, we have this little devotional where we share. This time it's about respect. We're sharing some things about that. And I don't really remember how the conversation got to this point, but there's one boy on the team who shared with me. He goes to school. I don't really remember what school. It's a public school. And he just said, Coach, this girl, and I don't remember her name, this girl, she doesn't believe in Jesus. He was blown away. I mean, he was just, I just can't believe there's such a thing. And I was like, well, yeah, that's not unheard of. And we started to make our way back to the field, and he was just walking, shaking his head. And he's like, and her mama, she don't believe in Jesus either. I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's. And he's like, why wouldn't somebody want to believe in Jesus? I'm like, that's a good question. But a lot of people don't. In fact, a lot of people have heard this message. They've heard it many times. And just like the Pharisees, they're very dismissive. They're just trying to find 
any way they can to, to just on a technicality or whatever say, I can forget everything that Jesus has to say, every pronouncement that he has, everything that he has, has talked about himself here. We're like the Pharisees. Let's find some sort of way to just get past it. Why? Well, Jesus has already explained this. Go back to chapter 3. There's an important little section of Scripture where Jesus talks about being the light. Verse 19 of chapter 3. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people, the people, loved the darkness rather than the light. So why don't people come to Jesus? Why don't people come to the light? They love darkness. Why would they love darkness? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why not? Lest his works should be exposed. Jesus brings this this illustration of light into bear because it's one of the most obvious, straightforward things that we can understand. Where do criminals do their crimes? Do they go out in the middle of the day and say, everybody, look at me. Everybody, pay attention. I'm about to rob this bank. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm just going to go in and do it. No. How How Criminals do things under the cover of night, under darkness. They don't want anyone to see them. When people do things they know aren't right, they want to be shielded. And Jesus, is, he said it back then. He said, listen, people don't come to the light. Even though I'm the light of the world, I shine. I, I say all of these things that I provide. People love their dark ways more. And listen to his explanation. Go back to chapter 8. And the Pharisees have said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus understands. They don't want to come to him because they love their wicked ways. They love the darkness. They don't want to be there. So as he answers them, he says, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. We all can relate to what Jesus is talking about here. He's basically saying, listen, even if I have my own testimony, I know it's right because I was there and you weren't. I know where I came from and where I'm going. You don't. Do you ever go through something in life, experience something, and you go to tell a friend and they just don't believe you? And you're like, come on, man. I was there. You weren't there. I know what happened. I saw it. It's frustrating. You're like, I don't need to have you know, video evidence or whatever. I know what happened. Whether you believe me or not, I know it's real. Jesus is, in essence, saying that to the Pharisees. Listen, I, I know where I'm from, and I know where I'm going. You don't. And then this accusation to them, verse 15. You, you judge according to the flesh. I don't judge anyone. Even if I did, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law is written that the testimony of two people is true. So then he says, and here's the two people. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me. If you want me to say it again, he says, I'll say it again. It's me and my Father. But that verse 15 is is where he kind of focuses in. You judge according to the flesh. It reminds me back in chapter 3, right before he said, listen, people don't come to the light because they love the darkness. He was talking with Nicodemus and he said, listen, Nicodemus, if I explain earthly things to you and you don't understand, you're never going to understand heavenly things. 
The Pharisees, they're not, they don't care about him being the light of the world. They don't care about any of the spiritual realities of what he's saying. They're just trying to dismiss him. They're just trying to get rid of him. They're just trying to figure out some way that we can shut him up so we can get back to our way of thinking, our way of life. They can't see anything other than the world. And so their judgment is by their own little earthly standards. They have no spirituality at them at all. It reminds me of what Jesus says in chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. They're judging by appearances. They're judging by the flesh. They're judging by how they want it to be because they're in their sins. And so as we see Jesus' response to them here, and then in verse 19, they just continue down where's your father and he's like you still don't you don't know my father you don't know me or you would know my father you don't get it what this speaks to us when it says jesus says you know that they don't come to the light because they love the darkness it's something that helps us understand our evangelism let me ask you if you've ever heard an illustration like this you don't have to raise your hands but i just just you can think about it. Have you ever heard an illustration where somebody comes to you and says, listen, as a Christian, if you had the cure to cancer, just as a person, if you had the cure to cancer, you knew how to do it, wouldn't you go tell everybody? Or if you were on a boat that was sinking and you knew the way to get off the boat, you knew where the lifeboats were, wouldn't you go tell everybody where the lifeboats were? And the idea behind that is that we as Christians have, you know, we have the gospel, we have the message of Christ, we don't share it, so somehow it's, it's, it's like a, it's an even, even thing. But it's not at all. Because in those illustrations, it assumes that the person, when we say you have the cure to cancer, when you go tell everybody, it assumes that everybody out there also knows that they have cancer, also is well aware that they have cancer and wants to be cured of cancer. Or that they know they're on the boat, they know the boat is sinking, and they know they're going to drown. But that's not what the Bible teaches us here, does it? Jesus said, why don't they come to the light? Because they love the darkness. There are lots of people that even though you can share the gospel with them, they're like the Pharisees. They just want to dismiss it on a technicality. They don't want to believe they're in their sins. They don't want to believe they're falling short of the glory of God. They just want to dismiss it. And so even if we have the cure, so to speak, they don't necessarily want to hear it. So how do we respond to that? What do we do? Let me share a different illustration from my own life that maybe helps out. A couple of years ago, in the summer before I came to Cornerstone in 2017, one day I kind of woke up, I don't really know when it happened, but I started to notice that I was short of breath. I would just, from time to time, just wasn't really doing anything. I'd just find myself. I just couldn't I'd take in breath, and I just, it felt like I had run, and I just was out of breath. It wasn't awful, and I occasionally would share this with my wife. And you know what my wife would tell me? Go to the doctor. And as a guy, you know what I said? Nah, I'm fine. I'll be all right. We were in Florida on a vacation, and my youngest son, he was trying to learn how to ride a bike. And you know how you are when you try and teach somebody how to ride a bike. They're on it, you grab the seat, and you're running along, pedal, 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 and you push them, and they don't pedal, and they stick their feet out, and like, pedal the bike, and then they fall down, and you pick them up, and you do that over and over and over until they finally can pedal for a few feet. And there we were in Florida, and I was running along behind them, and it was, you know, like it is, it was 105 degrees and humid and all of that, and I did that for 20 minutes, and 
was out of breath, which I would have been out of breath no matter what. I was out of breath. I thought, okay. So I went in. We had a camper at the time. I said to my wife, I'm out of breath. I'm a little overdone. I'm going to sit in air conditioning for a few minutes. Like two hours later, I still <gasps> couldn't breathe. But, of course, I didn't really want my wife to know at that point how bad it was. I didn't say anything there, but it was rough. And occasionally I'd let on to my wife, yeah, I'm still just struggling with that breathing. And she would always say the same thing. Go to the doctor. And I didn't. Well, one day I went to visit my father-in-law, and on the way home, we're just driving in our minivan. And I wasn't doing anything except, you know, pushing down on the gas pedal. Very, very strenuous to do this. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I can't breathe. I mean, I am just struggling for for my breath. And so we were coming back, and the town in between where we lived and where my father-in-law was, Jackson, Tennessee, and there's... There are some hospitals there. So I looked at my wife. I said, I think I'm going to go to the hospital. And she just kind of went, about time. And uh, ironically, my, one of my children had a doctor's appointment. So she said, all right, I'll drop you off at the hospital, and we'll, we'll go to the doctor's appointment. So she dropped me off there. I walk in the emergency room and said, you know, I'm having a little trouble breathing. Well, I'm a 40-year-old man having trouble breathing to the front of the line. And I got, you know, all the little stickers on me. And they're like, well, your heart's fine. You look okay. So they took me up and did an X-ray. And I had pneumonia, fairly extensive pneumonia in one of my, my lungs. I even had a spot. And so, you know, three hours after they finally tell me this, that I've been sitting in the room, I have to call my wife and say, hey, how are you? Well, I got pneumonia, and I even have a spot on my lungs. Now, of course, she was a little concerned about that part, and it turned out to be nothing. But there was another part of it that's like, genius, why didn't you go months ago to the doctor? But she kept telling me about, hey, you're only cure is to go to the doctor. You can pretend that you don't have a problem, but I know you do. Deep down, you know you do. There's only one way to cure it, and that's to go to the doctor. We have many people in our lives who love the darkness. Every Sunday before I preach, I talk about we're going to pray for people that we know who don't know Christ. We're going to pray for people who we know who are spiritually in a bad spot. No matter where they are, we just know that. There are people often that love the darkness. And in and of their own power, they're going to stay in the darkness. That's, that's what Jesus teaches us in John chapter 3. What we see illustrated so clearly here with Pharisees. But like Christ and like his disciples, we continue, like my wife when I was sick, telling them the truth. And we pray and pray that the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to the reality of their situation. That at some point, like when I finally got to that point when I said, I need to go to the doctor that they come to Christ. And one of the things that's important, and we're going to pray for ourselves here for this in just a few moments, is like my wife, when I was sick, she was constantly telling me the truth. Constantly giving me the example, hey, if you're sick, you got to go to the doctor. you got to go to the doctor. And as followers of Jesus Christ, as we know those people in our lives, some of them that we've known for years, sometimes decades, And we get worn down with sharing the gospel with them or talking to them about Christ or sometimes it just gets old. We recognize that our call is to continually be the light. Is to continue to live as God has called us to live, living out the gospel in front of people, telling people, listen, you're in your sins, you fall short of the glory of God, your only hope is to come to Christ. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Cornerstone Bible Fellowship. Please join us for our full worship service this coming Sunday at 10 a.m. Also, you may listen to any past sermon by going to cbf.us slash sermons and clicking on the link to past sermons.